Hello, this is episode 193 of the Get It Right podcast. In this episode, I'm talking about those of you who have got your plans locked and loaded, and now it's time to sign contracts with a builder and hit go. Getting ready to sign a building contract and start construction, it's a really exciting point in your project because it means everything is about to become real. All the planning, preparing and decision making that you've been doing, it's all about to turn into the real floors, walls and roof on your site. However, it's also the point at which you're going to be legally bound to someone plus handing over loads of money on a regular basis. Homeowners can get it so wrong at this stage, from stress and frustration right through to half-finished homes and bankrupt builders. The risks at this stage, they're high. It is, however, possible to enjoy this stage and to get yourself prepared and informed so that you can be actively involved in and confident throughout your construction phase. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I jump into this episode, I want to share with you a fantastic resource I've created to help you, and you can access it now for free. If you're struggling with understanding the overall steps for your project, what you should be focusing on and when, or how to invest your efforts, energy, and money in the best possible way to get a great outcome in your future home, this will be super helpful. I've created a free online workshop called Your Project Plan, and you can watch it now. Head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan to access it and watch it online. I've also added some great bonus resources that I've made available for you, and they include the transcripts of all of the podcasts in this season, this Christmas 2020 season, packaged up in a fantastic e-guide. You can find it all at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan, and that's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N, project plan, all one word. Go check it out now. Now, let's get on with the episode. As I said in the intro, it's such an exciting point of the project to be getting ready to sign a building contract and hit go on seeing all of the dreaming, planning, designing, deciding that's happened up to this point actually become reality on site. I've been doing this for a long time. I've seen so many homes go under construction. It never, never gets old. You know, to start to see your future home, whether it's a renovation or a new build, actually take real shape, to start to walk around the rooms and the spaces that you've been envisaging for so long, and to have this amazing time of seeing it progress as your future life in your home actually becomes more and more tangible the closer that you get to construction completion. It's also a time though where there can be big confusion for homeowners and if you've never been part of the construction industry, it can look quite bamboozling to see your home actually get put together. There's lots of terminology and processes and things happening that you just may or may not understand. Plus, you can feel like you're hemorrhaging money as you see payment after payment being handed over. There's lots of expertise that goes into building homes and it's not always transparent whether you're getting a great quality job or a terrible one. And in fact, you can often find out that you got a terrible quality job well after the builder has finished the job, left the site, and then something starts to leak, break down, rust, or fail. 
Worse, the failure can be hidden away inside a wall or under a floor or in the roof and you have no idea at all that corners were actually cut and things were done shoddily. Now, it's only when something big goes wrong that then costs a lot to fix or, you know, it might be that the building inspector for your future purchaser actually finds whatever this fault is and then lets you know and then that impacts the resale value that you can get for your home. Many homeowners actually enter this phase thinking that the only thing that they have to worry about is they've just got to choose the right builder and then get that contract signed and then that the builder is just going to take care of the rest and let them know when they need input or decisions. You may have heard me say this before, however, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the fact that every project needs a project manager and the builder, your builder, is not your project manager. They're actually their own project manager. So what do I mean by this? Well, every project needs a project manager, as I said, someone who can keep track of things, who can keep things moving, who coordinates all the various people, activities and parts involved, and ultimately represents and protects the goals of the project. So if you're building or renovating, you're going to need a project manager to ensure that your interests, your wishes and your wants are actually protected and achieved. Now, the builder is not this person. The builder is their own project manager. So they're going to be driving the renovation or new build of your home to achieve their goals. Now, of course, their goals may include giving you a great home, ensuring that it's fantastic quality, keeping you happy and informed and generally doing a great job for you because if they're a good builder, that's part of them being a great builder and ensuring that they get future work and they keep their business thriving. However, they may also have other goals, such as ensuring that the project is profitable and that they can also juggle, juggle, for example, the four other builds that they have going on at the same time, plus a raft of other financial and delivery goals about how your project fits into their overall business. Now, your goals as the future homeowner, well, of course, you're going to want similar things. You're going to want a great home. You're going to want a quality build, a fantastic project experience. I'm also a big believer that it's important to work with builders who are making a profit. You want your builder to make a profit because you want them to be around in the future and to have a thriving and sustainable business if you have any warranty or maintenance issues come up down the track. You also want your builder to know how to run their business well. But then you may have goals about, for example, timelines or expectations of people on site or your site access or your involvement at critical points or particular design decisions. And so there may be points along the construction of your project where, for example, something comes up and a decision needs to be made and your builder's goals and your goals don't necessarily align. Now, I've been involved in loads of situations where The builder will suggest something during a site meeting because something unexpected has come up and they've uh, proposed a resolution to fix it. Now, their resolution, yep, it meets the contract, it meets the timelines, it meets the general requirements of the job, ticks all of those boxes, but it doesn't necessarily align with the client's goals. And, you know, there may be seven other options which, which do meet all of those builder boxes, Um, but ultimately are a preferred goal uh, and in alignment with the goals of the client over the one that the builder is suggesting. But the thing is that those other options, they may be more challenging for the builder to undertake, you know, so, or they're just simply not the way that they're used to doing things. And this is the thing is that because, you know, in those situations, I'm the architect, I'm representing the client's interests, I can have that conversation with the builder and then we can come to an agreement and we can push things forward. And because the client's interests and goals have been protected in that process, the client still gets their goals achieved. So 
I really want you to not think of your builder as your project manager. Your builder is not your project manager. You need to be your own project manager or you need to hire someone on your behalf. Now, this can be a project manager. It can be an architect or the designer that you've been working with. If it's going to be you, though, then ensure that you upskill so that you can participate confidently and effectively in the conversations that you need to. And be prepared to have some challenging, sometimes confronting conversations because you're not always going to agree with your builder, but you'll still need to work out how you're going to be heard and listened to and have your goals achieved. Now, let's look at the stage of being ready to sign contracts and and build and what that actually looks like. And we've got our three metrics, budget, fears and stress. So the first is budget. Now, budget is always front and centre at this point in your project because you're signing a contract that's actually committing you to spend the budget that you've had in mind all of this time and that you've been talking about so much. So money's always going to be a big part of the conversations at this point. And most people, they're trying to determine if the price that the builder is giving them actually represents the best price for the most amount of value that they can achieve for their future home. And because of this huge focus on budget, many homeowners, they'll be shopping around to different builders. They'll also be trying to determine what's going to sit inside the contract versus what's going to sit outside of it. And in an effort to get the contract on budget, some homeowners will be extracting items with the intention of sourcing them themselves or doing the work themselves after the build is finished. Now, be really wary of how you manage your budget through this contract signing time. I've got some more information on this for you when we get to the mistake section. However, it's there's also some videos that I've done that are going to be great for you to watch. One of them is on why it's not a good idea to source products and materials separate to the building contract uh, if you're trying to do that in an effort to cut out the builder's margin and save money. I've got a video on taking you through the risks associated with that. And the other is on why it can be challenging to work with family and friends on your build if you're doing that in an effort to save money as well. So be sure to check out the resources. I've got the links to those videos for you there. Now, also inside the mini course uh, that I've got called Set and Stick to Your Budget, I actually take you through some of the top budget saving ideas that I regularly hear from homeowners. There's some pretty common ones that homeowners think are going to save them serious cash in their build. However, in my experience, they're total myths and they can cost far more than they ever save. So the link for that mini course will also be in the resources as well. So you can check that out. Now, let's talk about fears. It's actually really common at this point to be quite fearful of making the final decision to commit to a builder, to commit to a contract price and to sign away on the dotted line, especially if you've found your builder via a tender process and you actually haven't spent a lot of time with any of the builders that you're getting your quotes and that you're choosing from. There can be fears also associated just purely with the sheer sum of money that you're dealing with, you know, and with knowing whether this builder is going to deliver on all their promises or just turn into another type of person that ends up causing headaches and dramas on site. There's often also a great fear from homeowners about whether they can really trust the builder that they're choosing and make the right choice because it can sometimes feel like a, just a big gamble. These fears are one of the big reasons that involving a builder as a paid consultant during the design phase of your project and having them advise on buildability and cost as your design develops is a fantastic idea. Doing this actually gives you the chance to really get to know the builder before signing a legal document and to see if there's someone who actually follows through, who can be trusted and can communicate well. And I'll talk more about this in a little bit. Now, Another fear is also just being nervous about what's ahead, whether it's going to go well and whether you as the homeowner will be able to understand what's happening on site sufficiently to notice when things aren't as you expect them to be. And I've got some help for you on this in the action step. Now, let's look at stress. 
I think the main stress at this point is often simply associated with the sum of money that you're signing up for as you sign that contract. It can all look like zeros on paper, um, but when you register actually how much money it is, it can be pretty stressful. And then, of course, worrying whether that's going to carry you through or whether there's going to be budget blowouts and time blowouts that you just haven't anticipated and that are going to come as nasty surprises. There can also be stress associated with the financing as well. I've seen homeowners get to this point and then discover that their valuations don't stack. And so the bank's actually contributing them, the bank's actually expecting them to contribute more money than they've budgeted for. And, you know, they just don't have access to it or they don't know how they're going to be able to extend their finances. Additionally, there can be stress associated with meeting timelines for a builder's start date. And so that can mean that you're making decisions with haste and you're not doing the proper due diligence on process, contract or costings and you're racing to meet this deadline. Or alternatively, you can actually be all ready to go and the builder that you really want to use isn't ready for several months. And so there's this stress about whether you are going to wait or whether you're going to find another builder. Meeting these timelines and deadlines can cause a huge amount of stress for homeowners, but it's worth remembering that most of these deadlines that you're creating, they're actually self-imposed and chances are you were thinking and dreaming about this project for months, even years before you actually started. So to be acting with such urgency now, it's not always necessary. This is also a great reason to use and include the builder in that pre-construction phase as part of your design team because then you're in your uh, you're going to be in their work pipeline months before you need to start and they've got you in their schedule and then things can flow much more seamlessly overall. Even if you haven't done this and you've waited until you have all your drawings complete, you know, and you're ready to go, pauses of a few months to get exactly the right builder that you've done all your research with, that you've got to know, that you've built a great relationship with. They're not going to be that big in the grand scheme of things. And racing to meet a builder's timeline just because it's the right price, that can mean also running over your budget during construction in lots of unanticipated ways. I can think of one example where a couple I know, they couldn't wait three months for the builder that they really wanted to use. And so they used another one instead. And then that builder went bankrupt mid-project, having Ford charged for the work, so had charged for more than they'd actually completed. So they ended up being delayed several months longer. They had to find another builder. They then had to pay for rectification work on project work they'd already paid for. They had to process insurance and legal claims and involve lawyers. And then they were also paying more rent where they were living whilst their home was being renovated. So that three months that they couldn't wait actually cost them far more in time and money overall, not to mention the stress as well. The latest Home Builder grant has been a really big demonstration of this as homeowners have raced to meet the deadlines and to access their $25,000 grant. And whilst $25,000 is a lot of money, it's an amount of money that can be quickly swallowed up in an unanticipated budget blowout, extra expenses and mistakes that can come from not doing things methodically and just racing. So I actually predict there's going to be a fair amount of home builder headaches coming this year due to the haste at which people jumped into their projects purely to access that available grant. Now, remember too that once you're inside a building contract, you are legally bound. You're you're just as legally obligated as the builder is to fulfill the conditions of the contract as they are. So don't overlook this and don't think that it's all about the builder just needing to perform. You actually need to be aware of what the contract's going to mean for you and to ensure that you're not going to be in breach of it at any point in the project because the builder can stop work if that happens. 
Now let's look at the mistakes that many make when they have their plans locked and loaded and they're getting ready to sign a contract. And I'm gonna take you through the main mistakes that I see homeowners make, and then I'll share with you how to get it right instead. So the first mistake I see people make who have got to this stage is that they haven't finalized their selections or colors before signing a contract. Instead, they'll sign a contract that has a bunch of allowances listed in it. And these are gonna be included in your PC or your prime cost items, and the provisional sum sections of your building contract. And so then when it comes to building, the builder will you know, tell them to go and make their selections from a specific tiling supplier, or to go and work with the joinery company on finalizing the kitchen design. And inevitably, the homeowner will find that the amount that's in their contract, in their allowances, isn't sufficient for what they had in mind for their dream home. So then it's a case of determining whether they're gonna pay the variation to the contract sum, which includes a builder's margin at the variation percentage in the contract. And that's usually much higher than the standard margin that's inside the initial building contract sum, or whether they're gonna readjust their expectations and work with the allowance that they were given and come up with another solution. So this is one of the main sources of budget blowouts during a project, because whilst you might pick a toilet that's only $50 more expensive, or a tile that's only $10 per square meter more expensive, if you're doing that with all of your selections, because everything was undercooked, and then you're adding a variation margin on all of them, then it's gonna add up very quickly to tens and tens of thousands of dollars extra. I've also seen homeowners negotiate the allowances in their contract before they sign it, as a means of actually bringing the contract sum down. So they'll not like the final contract sum figure that's presented, perhaps it's over budget or they just want it to be less. And so then they'll work through those, those prime cost or PC items or the provisional sums and play with them to reduce them here and there to bring down the figure of the total contract. And they'll do it without checking if the amounts that they're reducing those figures to actually buy them the items, the fixtures and the finishes that they want in their future home. Or Another thing they'll do is they'll actually remove specific selections out of the contract entirely in order to reduce the overall contract sum with the view to buy those things themselves or to do that work later once the project is complete. Now, all of these things in my mind are a really false economy in building and renovating a home because you're gonna end up paying for what you want either way. And you may actually negatively impact the value of your home in the process as the bank estimates it and this can be really challenging if you're trying to finance your build or reno. The best way to avoid this mistake is to actually make your selections prior to finalizing your contract and then to have as much as you can accurately priced in your contract with the things that you actually want to include in your future home. So this will include amongst other things, having drawings of your kitchen design, for example, your bathroom and your laundry layout so that all of your joinery is visible. It's all designed. It's easy to price. Plus, you're going to want a schedule of all of your fixtures, your finishes and your colours. So don't delay the decision making process until after you've signed the contract. It rarely goes well. The volume builder or the project home industry, it's actually built on making you delay your decision making because that enables them to accrue additional costs from you after you've already committed to a contract. You don't do your selections until after you've signed your contract. And even though the contract already includes the base finishes and fixtures, you're gonna be paying a huge premium for every upgrade from there. So perhaps you'll do something like go to their selections showroom or you'll go straight to the supplier and you're gonna be shown all the upgrade fixtures and finishes. And then they're all going to get added onto that base price that you agreed to at the beginning. 
And all of those upgraded selections, they actually stack the profit margin of the volume builder because they're all at a higher profit margin than the build itself. And then it's part of those business their business model to make those all of those selections look really attractive in their displays and their showrooms and at the suppliers so that you increase your contract sum. So if you're choosing a volume builder because it seems to be a super economical way to build a home, just beware of the early commitment that you're going to be making at a base price with base assumptions and base specifications. Because the way that the whole system works is that through incremental commitment, your contract sum is likely to increase as you make more decisions and selections. You do things like find out about your soil conditions on your site and other things along those lines. I've actually seen that base price increase sometimes by 50 or $100,000 or even more. And now, you know, many do factor in the fact that this is just part and parcel of building that way, or they'll stretch themselves to manage as they move through the process. But they rarely consider what they could have got in a custom solution that specifically suited their site. If they actually started with that top budget that they've worked up to in their mind at the outset of their project. Now, this leads me to my next mistake. So another mistake that people make in this phase of the project and as they move into construction is not tracking their budget along the way. Homeowners will go to amazing lengths during design and the quoting phase of their project to manage their budget and to push it and their project to where it needs to be to really get that price where they want it to be. And then they'll start on site and then they'll not track their budget with, you know, as they spend it with anywhere near the same diligence. And so what this can look like is changing your mind about fixtures and finishes that you've already made uh, and then just dealing with the extra cost and the variations that you incur. Or worse, going on site and changing your mind about entire rooms and wall locations and parts of the design in big or small ways. Once dirt is turned on site and you have a bunch of people standing around with machinery, tools and a timeline, any changes that you make will cost exponentially more than they would have on drawings and they can cause huge problems for your contract and your build overall. So the aim of your construction process is to let it run like clockwork for it to simply be the result of all the preparation and planning that you've done to that point. Challenges and unexpected things can come up and they often do but don't add to your stress in dealing with those by changing your mind about all the things that you've already mulled over and committed to prior to starting on site. You're going to very quickly see your budget run away from you and construction will will feel frenetic and stressful as a result. I've actually seen people who were militant about having, you know, a $750,000 budget for their project and they ended up spending $900,000 on their project with all the changes of mind and the reselections during the build. However, if they'd started with a $900,000 budget at design stage and then managed the process so that they stayed on budget, they would have most likely had a very different design approach and uh, a very different standard of home as well. So manage your budget spend with the same diligence that you did when you were setting and testing the budget before you started construction. Save any extra money that you have along the way for things that you can make the finished home more comfortable with. You know, it might be great window furnishings or it might be lovely furniture or the landscape design. That's the thing that always gets cut out of the budget or even a great family holiday. It doesn't have to all go on the house. Thirdly, another mistake at this point and one that's really symptomatic of the design bid build model is needing to fix your drawings to suit the builder that you end up choosing. So the design bid build model, it's the current age old model that we have in the residential construction industry. It's a broken one 
Uh, but it's the one that everyone seems to prefer. So, And they see it in order to get a so-called competitive advantage by pitting a group of builders against each other to deliver a quote or a tender that's at the lowest price that they can afford to build your home for. Many homeowners will do their design, they'll get their approvals, they'll get their engineering drawings, and then they'll send that whole package out to a selection of three or more builders to get a quote. And if you're lucky, the quotes will come back uh, near or on your budget. However, more often than not, they come back at more than you budgeted, and then you have to figure out what to do next. And this usually means working with a preferred builder to get their input on where you can save money, and that's generally the preferred way of doing this. The design bid build model though, it doesn't occur in any other sector of the construction industry. Commercial projects, public projects, even multi-residential projects such as apartment buildings and townhouse developments, they all include construction and costing input during the design phase in order to be able to stay on budget. What this input also enables when you get a builder involved in the pre-construction phase is that drawings can then be created to suit the builder with the builder's preferences in mind. You know, every builder does things slightly differently based on their experience and their business model, the trades that they work with and their suppliers. And I've often seen a builder look at a finished set of say structural engineering drawings, for example, and then comment that they don't believe that it needs to be done that way. The money could be saved if, you know, X, Y, and Z were changed. And if you've actually done the design bid build model, then what you're gonna to have to do to adopt that cost saving is to go back to the structural engineer and then pay them to amend the drawings that they've already completed. And then that may also mean that you're gonna to have to change the design drawings that were um, finished as well so that everything is properly coordinated. So this is gonna mean extra fees, it's gonna mean extra time. And if you're finding this all out at the point that you thought that you were all locked and loaded and ready to go on site, then that can be really challenging because you then have to wait for the engineer and the designer to both be available to make those changes, then to have the drawings edited and then to have the builder to reprice them, then for the contract to be amended and then to see if it's all ready for you to sign and go. Involving the builder early will certainly alleviate this, but at the very least, have a conversation with your designer about whether they regularly work with a range of builders and they know how they like the drawings for their projects. If you're hoping to tender to other builders, then see if the designer can have a conversation with them before finalising their documentation so they can avoid any potential changes that might come up. So we've gone through the mistakes. How do you get it right then? And how do you avoid these mistakes of not doing your selections pre-contract, not tracking your budget as you spend it, or experiencing time delays in amending and fixing drawings right when you want to get started? So one of the ways you get it right may come as no surprise after the mistakes that I've taken you through this, uh, but it's this. Now, ensure that you have the right package of information before your contract sum is finalised and you sign your contract. What this can include is a good set of drawings that comprehensively explain the home. And of course, try to eliminate as many assumptions as possible about how you want things to be. I've actually got a blog on the types of drawings that you should include. So check the resources for that link because I've popped that link there. And also inside the home method, I also have a sample set of drawings that you can check out. So you can actually see what uh, each one involves and includes as well. It's my recommended template sort of minimum set to have uh, somebody draw up for you so that you can effectively convey what you want in your home and try and eliminate um, most assumptions. Uh, don't assume, it's really important that you don't assume that you'll get a call from the builder 
asking you exactly where you want your tower rails to be fixed or the layout of your lighting in each room. You know, your builder's job during construction is to build, not design, and these are design decisions. So make construction simpler, be more confident that you'll get what you want in your finished home, and reduce the number of assumptions that the builder is gonna make on your behalf by having it on a drawing. Your drawings then become part of your contract. So it's essential that they're well drawn, that they're properly coordinated with the structural engineer's drawings and any other consultant drawings that you may have and that they're easy to understand. So by coordinated, what I mean is that the same things are showing on all the drawings. There's been lots of instances, for example, where a designer or a drafts person, they've not properly coordinated the structural drawings with the design drawings. And so, for example, the beam that the structural engineer has indicated on their drawings, it's not accommodated for on the design drawings. Uh, and so you'll, you know, this is something like the ceiling design will end up being a big surprise for the homeowner who's planned a beautiful pendant light in that location and instead there's a structural beam running through. You can't fudge the structural design at that point when you're in construction. However, if you are in the design phase, then the designer can and should collaborate with the structural engineer to determine whether the beam needs to be exactly where it is at that point or to work out alternatives to actually help you still get the outcome that you're seeking. So it's really important that collaboration happens during the design phase. Now, it's also important, as I said before, that you provide your selections and your specifications for your fixtures, your finishes, your materials, your products, all of those things prior to costing and signing a contract because this will help the exact things that you want to go into your contract at the prices that they actually cost and not as a variation on an allowance down the track. Having all of these documents prior to contract signing means that they'll actually form part of the contract and then that gives you the opportunity to refer to them should anything not be as expected or documented on site. Secondly, to get it right at this stage, take the time to get to know your builder before you sign the contract. You're about to spend a lot of time with this person and you're going to be handing over big sums of money to them. So don't rush getting to know them or seeing how they communicate, if they're like-minded and how well they understand the vision that you have for your future home. Ensure that you do all your due diligence on their company, their credibility, their license, their past performance. The Choose Your Builder mini course is perfect for helping you with this. Uh, it lays out all the questions that you can ask a builder and the checks that you can make so that you can be sure that they're the best fit for your project. I see homeowners doing some quick checks, but the you know what I see is really the reason that they choose the builder is because they all seem to get along and they feel that they can talk to each other. You know, he's, he or she seems friendly and easy to work with. And what's tricky in all of this is that homeowners are are often not necessarily being themselves during these conversations because there's a base human need of wanting to be liked and wanting to belong. And so that can mean the connection that you make isn't necessarily authentic. And it's just the pair of you being on your best behavior and modeling your behavior off each other as you first get to know each other. Give yourself the chance to move past this with any builder that you're considering for your project so that you can really test how you relate to each other. You know, what happens when you don't agree with each other? What happens when you have to have a difficult conversation about something that you don't like or aren't happy with? Do you even feel comfortable doing that? What happens when they say that they're going to do something within a time frame? Do they actually deliver? When you think about it, if you're doing it the old-fashioned design bid build model, you're most likely getting to know the builder that you might choose within maybe the space of a month after getting their quote back as you negotiate the contract and you set a start date. 
And then you're entrusting them with not only hundreds of thousands of dollars, but literally the structure that you're going to be housing your family in for years to come. I guarantee most people do more than a month's research, most women do more than a month's research to get to know the pram that they're going to buy for their firstborn. I know I did. And uh, all the car that they're going to purchase. Again, I know that we did. And these are a fraction of the cost of most building contracts. If you educate your kids in a private school, for example, you probably researched your selection for longer than a month. And the six years or so that you're going to spend on private school fees is still most likely less than the amount you're investing in a new build and maybe also in a renovation. So give yourself the time to know your builder before you sign the contract. The Paytas Consultant process or the PAC process that uh, that I've talked about before and that we teach inside Live Life Build, my other business where we're teaching builders how to do this well, that actually enables the pack process enables this through involving the builder as a paid consultant during the design phase and all of pre-construction but however you choose to do this whether it's via something like the pack process or it's you still go the traditional design bid build model just make sure that you give yourself the time that you need to really get to know the builder that you're choosing and that you're going to work with on your project Lastly, my big tip to get it right when signing a contract is to get legal advice on the contract that you sign. I think a lot of homeowners assume that because the contracts used by most builders are standard ones, that there's not that much to check or to worry about. However, as I said earlier, the contract legally obligates you as much as it does the builder. And if you don't understand exactly what you're obligating yourself to, then you can get into big trouble. Builders will also amend clauses in the contract. They're well within their rights to do so. And some builders just don't understand the contract that they use in great detail. And I know this from firsthand experience. Now, Inside Live Life Build, which is my other business where we coach builders to help them improve their businesses and also the way that they work with homeowners, we actually teach builders that the contract is that it's actually their tool of project execution. And hence, it's essential that the builder and the homeowner both understand it really well. The contract lays out exactly how a project needs to run. You know, what happens if something unexpected comes up? What happens if you change your mind? What happens if the project is running late? What money gets charged in different scenarios? Plus a range of other really important things to know. One of the members of the home method, um, she actually joined because she got legal advice on her building contract and the lawyer actually said to her, don't sign it. And then she went back to the builder and they were refusing to change it and to amend it based on the legal recommendations. And so she was at a stalemate and she was unsure what to do next. So she ended up going looking online for help and then she found Undercover Architect and then she found my online course and then she decided to join. Now, after she joined, she realized that she was actually right to stand her ground and that gave her the courage to stick to her guns. And then sure enough, the builder came round Um, in a little while and was willing to make some amendments to some of the unreasonable clauses that were in the contract. What I see is that almost everyone gets conveyancing handled by a lawyer when they're purchasing or selling a home. And this is no different, you know, getting a lawyer to look over your building contract and advise if there's anything out of the ordinary or something that you shouldn't sign up for. It's so important to protecting yourself and your investment. Also check the kind of contract that you're signing. So cost plus contracts, They're not great unless you're an absolute ninja at tracking your budget, you have everything fully scoped out and priced anyway, and you have some buffer with your cash. The cost plus contracts are perfect for providing flexibility for a project, 
but they're generally more advantageous for the builder than anyone else because the builder ends up being on a day rate pretty much for as long as it takes and everyone's still getting paid what the project costs regardless of how long it takes. Fixed price contracts are great, especially if you have eliminated as many PC items and provisional sums as possible. You may not be able to get rid of them all though, particularly if you're renovating. However, a fixed price contract is going to be your best bet of staying on budget, but only and only, I'll put this caveat, if your builder has had the chance to really understand your drawings and your specifications and you've done what you need to to remove assumptions and get all your ducks in a row before you've signed the contract. Now, be sure to listen to the podcast interview that I have in season seven with Despina Priala, who's a Queensland-based lawyer. Despina actually shares some really great insights into the key things to be aware of in a building contract, and it's going to be relevant wherever you're located. It's not necessarily Queensland specific. So I'll pop that link in the resources for you to check out as well. There's lots in the resources for this episode, so make sure you head there and you can grab all of that extra help. Now, To wrap up, let me share my biggest action step at this point, and that is to learn the stages of construction before you start so that you can know what to expect. A lot of the holes that I see homeowners get into during construction is purely due to their lack of awareness of what a construction project looks like and how involved they're allowed to be during construction. When you understand the stages of construction, it helps you be a lot more confident when you walk onto site and you know what's happening is as expected. And it can also help you proactively assess the progress claims that you're being sent and to see if they align with the work that's occurring on site before you agree to pay for them. Not all builders can manage their cash flow well, and some builders regularly forward charge for work in an effort to keep themselves cash flow positive. Builders actually need to have a fair amount of cash behind them to run projects well. So, you know, they're not usually getting paid until after the work is complete or things have been ordered. And so, yes, they may be on delayed payment terms with their subbies and suppliers, but they're usually having to carry a lot of payments before they get reimbursed by clients for their progress claims. And this can be especially challenging if the progress claims are not broken up in frequent chunks. And especially if the builder is doing more than one project. So builders may be carrying huge amounts of outstanding and paid cash before they're reimbursed from you or the bank that's financing you. So you can see where builders who don't run their business as well can come unstuck as they forecharge for work in an effort to stay afloat. And the dodgier operators I've seen, they'll do this to a huge extent. And I've even seen them create fraudulent invoices uh, from orders that they haven't made so that they can get paid before they make that actual order for your windows or your bathroom fixtures or something similar. So if you don't understand the sequence of construction, if you don't understand what completion looks like at each stage and the checks to make along the way, and you have no one helping you do that independently of the builder, then it can be really difficult to assess when a a progress claim comes in and determine if it really represents the completed work on site. In addition, if you don't understand the sequence of construction and you haven't made all of your decisions up front like I recommended, you can get a really rude shock as to when the builder actually needs you to decide something. So if you were thinking, for example, all your tapware and your bathroom fixture selections that they could wait until the bathrooms were actually being fitted out, you're going to get a rude shock when the builder calls you before the frame stage commences and needs that information. If you were planning on having a wall hung vanity, but you didn't share that info with the builder and it wasn't on your drawings anywhere, and then they've poured the slab, you may be stuck with a floor mounted vanity because that's what the plumbing waste is positioned for. If you thought that the exterior paint colors were gonna be one of the last things that you'd be choosing, like it's the icing on the cake, 
then you'll likely be surprised when the builder calls as the cladding is going up on the outside of the house because they want to send the painters in next and get the scaffolding down ASAP. Season 7 of the podcast is a must listen for any homeowner who is about to start construction on their future home or renovation because it takes you through the stages of construction in more detail. And in it, builder Dwayne Pierce and I, we go through each stage and we share some tips and some information about each. That's gonna That season of the podcast, it'll give you a taste of what's inside the home method because inside there, we have uh, a whole program that has extended versions of all of those discussions about each stage. It's got full transcripts. It's got cheat sheet summaries. It's got the video content as well. And then there's also some really important checklists and inspection documents and templates and things like that that you can use during your build at the more critical stages so that you can feel far more informed and confident in uh, overseeing those works on site. Now, watching the progress of your home on site is super exciting, but far too often I see panicked posts from homeowners in freebie Facebook groups where they don't know enough about their project. They haven't been able to, they haven't got enough drawings, uh, so it explains it to them, or they've not really understood the drawings. And then they visited their site after the builder has left, and then something's not as they expect. And so they've taken this photo on a Friday afternoon, and then they've crowdsourced an opinion from a bunch of equally unsure homeowners who don't know this person's project or builder specifically and what order things are happening in. And then they get a barrage of comments that tell them that, A, it's, you know, no, it's fine. It's all good. Right through to that's terrible. I'd be banging on the builder's door. I wouldn't leave it until Monday, you know, and all everything in between. And then a weekend of potentially unnecessary stress will ensue as the homeowner has to wait usually until Monday to to speak to the builder um, to find out if something actually has gone pear-shaped or it's just unfinished work that they don't understand. Or worse, they're texting the builder over the weekend and trying to sort it out on text. It's crazy. So get yourself informed. Be able to visit the site on a regular basis. I really encourage you to be attending site on a regular basis. Um, and ideally when the builder is there, it's actually illegal for you to be on the site Uh, or in your home without the builder's permission anyway. You need their permission. It's their site. It's not your home anymore. And you need to know what you're looking at as you review the current progress so that you can understand how things are looking and know whether it's as you expect. This is a huge investment, so don't let it go to chance. You know, you unlock what is possible for your future home and being informed and educated about what to expect and what to demand. It's the best way to achieve a great outcome for your home, for your finances and for your future lifestyle. So that's it. Those are my mistakes to avoid, my tips to uh, get it right, and of course your action step to take uh, if you are at this stage of having your plans locked and loaded and it's now time to sign contracts with a builder and hit go. So this episode actually wraps up this current season of the podcast. So make sure you head back and you catch up on any episodes that you've missed. There's actually eight in total in this season and we've covered loads of helpful information in the various stages that I find homeowners in during their project journey. Now before you duck off, there's a few important things that I want to mention to you so don't go just yet. 
Firstly, make sure you don't miss out on my free workshop, Your Project Plan. It's been fantastic to see the UA community jumping onto that workshop, watching it, you know, downloading the transcripts of these podcasts. Remember too, there's those extra bonus action steps that I have for each of these episodes or stages. So you can get all of that info there on that link. So if you head to www.undercoverarchitect.com, forward slash project plan you can watch the video and you can grab all of those resources for free the workshop's less than 45 minutes and it shares a heap of info that I haven't covered here in the podcast or anywhere else so it's really great if uh, you're designing you're building or you're renovating it's going to be super helpful for you now next I'm going to share with you some more info about what's ahead for the get it right podcast Now, as we normally do at the end of a season, we're going to have a break for a few weeks before we kick off new episodes. I do this for a couple of reasons. One is so that you can catch up or you can re-listen to anything that you've missed or that you want to um, refresh yourself on. Or if you're new to the podcast, you can actually go through the back catalogue of the other 192 episodes that are available and catch up on your listening as well. The other reason is just to help me reset and to get ready for the next season. And that's what I'd love to share a little bit about with you right now. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I'll have been doing this podcast now for just over four years and I've always structured it in seasons. This is season 13, but there's actually more seasons than 13 because I've got lots of little mini grouping of episodes that are interludes, you know, yada, yada, yada. So needless to say, there's a few seasons in the mix. The seasons have been great because over the past four years, they've helped me to group information together on a specific topic and to deep dive into it as well. You know, we've really covered some territory in those seasons and it enables you as the listener to actually see a particular subject that you might be interested in and then just jump into that season as you need. However, I'm going to shake things up a bit this year because what I've found is that the seasons don't always let me do these one-off episodes or interviews or what actually usually happens is that someone will contact me after a season has finished recording and then they'll suggest this brilliant addition or a fantastic guest and then I have nowhere to put it because that season is all finished and done. Not this year. (laughs) This year I am not doing seasons. We're going to instead do standalone episodes like most podcasts do. We're just going to run the episodes through and we're going to talk about a huge range of topics uh, that will all help you with specific aspects of designing, renovating and building your family home. I'm really excited about this because it means I can cover a huge range of topics that don't necessarily need to connect to one to each other under one umbrella or season topic. And it means I can also bring you a big range of guests because we can cover so many different things from something as specific as what you need to know about skylights uh, through to, you know, something like your renovating and building mindset plus everything in between. I still have future seasons in mind. I always have future seasons in mind and I'm just going to put them on hold for a bit because this podcast isn't going anywhere. There's still so much to share with you about all things design, building and renovating, but I think we're going to have fun in 2021 diving into some different topics and ideas and picking up all those interesting topics and info along the way. And if you do a word for the year, uh, that's a bit of your theme. I've been doing a word for the year. Oh, probably now this is maybe my eighth year, seventh year, something like that. My word for this year is joy. So I'm going to be bringing you lots of joy on the podcast as we cover some really amazing topics. So my question to you is, 
If there is a topic that you've been wanting to hear that hasn't been on the podcast so far, or there's a question that you've not been able to get to the bottom of, or research that you've not been able to nut out yourself, or even something that you know, if you've moved along in your project, but you know that something particular tripped you up early on, and you think it would just be really helpful to others to have some information around that, send me your podcast requests, okay? I can't guarantee that I'll get to all of them, but it's going to be awesome to hear from you and what type of information that you're seeking. So you can shoot me an, inf- uh, an email on hello at undercoverarchitect.com or just send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at undercoverarchitect there and um, I'd love to hear from you in my DMs. Now, one more request. If you are loving the podcast, I would be super grateful if you could just take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes. It seriously makes such a huge difference in helping the podcast be shown to others. doesn't matter where you are located globally. If you could just leave a rating and review on your iTunes and uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be so, so grateful because um, it just helps the, the, it helps the podcast be found by those who need the help that's available here. And make sure also that you tell a friend or three about the podcast. This is really so that we can spread the Get It Right with Undercover Architect message far and wide. I still have so many homeowners who get in touch with me saying, I wish I'd found you, you know, I'm this far through my project. I can't believe I found you now. I wish I'd found you months ago. And I just want to... I just want to stop that happening. I want everybody to find Undercover Architect at the point where it makes such a big difference to their project at the beginning so that wherever you are, wherever you're located, whatever your budget, whatever your dreams, you've got the help and support that you need to make good decisions and to achieve the outcomes that you want for your dream home. Now, I'm going to be back in a few weeks with our 2021 format. So stay tuned because I'll be letting you know when it's on its way. And I cannot wait. I'm really, really excited about this. I hope you are too. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.